Welcome to the Master of Broken Pieces podcast. I'm your host, Krista Hayes, and today's episode is going to be about my life story. So I grew up a military brat, traveling the world with my mom. Being with my mom growing up, she exposed me to different cultures, different environments growing up. Um, Being a part of the military, that lifestyle does get into you deep down somewhere. You You can try and run from it and hide from it all that you want, but it seeps in whether it is actually going into the military itself or if it is just in mannerisms, behaviors, culture, whatnot. And being a part of the military and growing up around that definitely affected me on the culture aspect more than it did the following career set path type. So with my mother being in the military and being a single mom, the main thing that she taught me and wanted me to learn was survival. So she had fears that, you know, she would be killed in war and wanted to make sure that I knew how to take care of myself in the event that she was not there anymore. So... My main thing growing up was about survival. It was not about preparation. It was not about love. It was how to move on in case of an emergency, which is an awesome skill to have. It really is. I can see how that skill has helped me as an adult move on through different situations and prepare me, pick me up, When life circumstances have left me on the floor, it has definitely picked me up and helped me to move on to the next thing because regardless of what happened, I wasn't going to die from it. I had to survive. So I am actually the product of a one night stand with my parents. And so it was one night, one date, one shot, and here I am. So that's with that, there was no relationship pretty much on my parents' part due to lots of drama that we'll get into on a different episode. But with that, uh, my father was not a part of my life growing up with, I actually didn't meet him until I was 14 years old. And with that, meeting him for the first time was the most beneficial and detrimental thing that's ever happened in my life. With that, um, at 14, I came to live with my grandparents. Um, My mother was doing an overseas duty tour, and I didn't want to spend my high school years in a foreign country. Um, I felt like that would have been limiting. Now, as an adult, I feel like that would have been awesome, but you can't go back and change it. So, <laughs> um, so I actually moved to Mississippi to be with my grandparents during that time to finish high school while my mother was overseas. And during that time, I got to know my sister So I am my mother's only child, but I am one of five that we know of on my father's side. 
And with that, I got the chance to get to know my sister a little bit more and spend time with her. My sister is about eight years older than me. And she was actually the first person to take me to meet my dad. She knew where he was. My father was not a beneficial person for anyone growing up, especially his kids. My father was addicted to cracking cocaine and was not a part of any of his children's lives in a significant kind of way. Out of the five of us, we all have our own story of brokenness and him not being there or in his presence, how much it actually was a big detriment and a big hurt. Even though he was there, he was not helpful for for them. So when my sister took me to see him, it was during one of the times that he was clean and sober. So not only was he on cracking cocaine, but he was also frequently in and out of jail. So this just so happened to be one of the times that he was out of jail and was clean for a couple of months and was back in touch with family. My sister came to pick me up, um, drove 45 minutes to come pick me up from my grandparents' house and take me basically around the corner from where she lived to my father's house where he was staying with his girlfriend at the time. Uh, We walk in. My father and his girlfriend are not in the living room. They're not in the kitchen. We walk through the house and we find them in the bedroom. So they're laying in the bed watching TV. It's late. It's about 8 o'clock at night. Late-ish for company. So it's about 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, he greets us. Hey, how are you guys? And whatnot. But he does not get out of the bed. Keep in mind, this is his very first time, very first interaction with me at all. So he's very excited. Hey, how are you guys? How are you doing? Hi, nice to meet you, Crystal. Keep in mind, my name is Krista, but so many people mispronounce my name. I've gotten Christian, Kristen, Christina, Crystal. It's Krista. So even my even my own dad mispronounces my name and calls me Crystal. And to this day, if I ran into him, he would still call me Crystal, which is sad, but it is what it is. <laughs> so he's like, hey, Crystal, how are you? And it's like, you know, just asking me questions, wanting to get to know me. And I am completely stunned and inoperable <laughs> at this point in time. I don't know how to function. This is my very first interaction with my father. I have been dreaming of this moment all of my life. I actually spent several months, a couple of years before, looking for him and having my mother ask family members, where is he? I want to find him. I want to get to know him. And here he is standing before me and I have no idea what to say. So I'm pretty sure I mumbled out some answers, whatnot. Definitely didn't ask any questions because I was too shy at the time 
to even be like, hey, where were you or anything like that? I'm just soaking up this experience of meeting my father for the first time. After about five minutes or so of small talk, he then turns the conversation towards my sister, who he knows a lot better than me. And so he was married to my sister's mother for a couple of years, um, was there when she was born, such and such. So he has a better relationship with her than he did with me. So he turns the conversation to my sister and they start, you know, chit-chatting about, you know, what's going on today, the weather, whatnot, the kids. And I am standing in the doorway, absolutely in, in shock and in awe. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should embrace him. He still has not gotten out of the bed to embrace me. And it's just like, okay, so what do we do after this? I'm, I guess I'm kind of waiting for him to take the lead in the situation. But his taking the lead in the situation is carrying on a conversation with my sister. After about 15 minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes of conversation with my sister, we can see the body language in the room starting to change. Keep in mind that he's in the bed at the house with his girlfriend. So legs start touching, um, arms start touching. It is, you know... You can start to read the room and understand that it's probably about time for me and my sister to leave because something's about to go down in the bedroom with my father and his girlfriend. So we say our last pleasantries and my dad is just like, well, hey, good to see you. You know, let's keep in touch. I'll get your information from Kim and we'll go from there type of thing. Never once, I think, I think he may have gotten out of the bed once to hug me at the end. I'm not even sure. But it was so casual. It was so nonchalant. He greeted me as if I was an old colleague of his or a classmate that he went to school with, not his long lost daughter. After being... After being at the house for 15, 20 minutes tops, my sister then drives me back to my grandparents' house another 45 minutes to take me back home. So we have spent almost triple the time in the car than we have at his actual house. And of course, during the car ride home, I am completely numb. I have all of these questions rolling around in my head. Where do we go from here? Why was it supposed to be this platonic? Was it supposed to be more? Was I just dreaming of a better interaction because of all the Disney movies that I watched growing up? Was he supposed to run across the room in slow motion and be like, where were you? I was looking for you all of my life. I have so many questions in my head that are going unanswered. So by the time that I get home, um, I, the emotional floodgate just opens and I go to my room and I throw myself on the bed and, and I just cried. 
for like an hour. I was heartbroken. I was, I felt unwanted. I felt like I was not enough. I was like, I've been waiting all of my life to meet you. And when I meet you, other things are taking a priority over me. And that message stuck with me for the next 20 years. And it is one that I am just now deprogramming myself from as that being the truth in my life. So needless to say, my self-confidence is shot. My self-worth, my self-value is shot. And that interaction affects my relationships for the next 20 years. Because the message that I took away from, from my first encounter with my father was that if I wanted to be important to a man, I needed to have sex with him. And that was a terrible message to deliver to a 14-year-old. So needless to say, I lost my virginity not long after that um, to my first boyfriend, my first love who was actually pretty cool. He he was he was pretty cool. Um my first boyfriend was actually the captain of the basketball team for my rival high school. And as a newcomer to the high school in the first place, to get the captain of the basketball team for the rival high school was actually kind of a pretty big deal, I guess you can say in high school terms. <laughs> So, but even though I was dating the captain on the basketball team, I still did not consider myself beautiful. I didn't consider myself pretty or even worth having um, a popular boyfriend. I was just kind of like, what do I do with this? Like, I don't know how to navigate this space in relationships because I have no framework. My framework for relationships was Disney all the way. I I studied Ariel. I studied Belle. I studied um, I studied The Lion King. That was all that I had to go on what a happy relationship looked like at the time. My mother. While she was never with my father, my mother was married. She was married multiple times. I didn't have a steady example um, in my mother's arena either of what a happy, prosperous relationship looked like. So when I got my first boyfriend, it was really, what do you do with this? So because I didn't know what to do, I did what he wanted to do. So I felt like, okay, you know what to do in this arena. So I'm going to follow you. And that's a terrible thing to do. Don't do that. If you don't, (laughs) don't do that. Um, But that's what I did. I followed him. So whatever he wanted to do, I was like, okay, this is relationships. And I did that. And I did that for the next 20 years. And I was miserable doing that. So, needless to say, my first relationship, it didn't last very long at all. I guess it lasted pretty long in high school terms. So, we were together for about nine months. 
But as soon as I lost my virginity to him, we were broken up a month later. So that was not, that wasn't sustainable. And at the same time, it just reinforced what my father had already subtly told me. That was the way to capture a man's attention. And so, of course, that broke my heart because I was in love, but he was having a good time. I was thinking that this is Disney. (laughs) He's going to be my high school sweetheart. We're going to grow old together and have 3.5 kids and a dog and a picket fence. And he was doing what high school boys do in high school. (laughs) And so... Um, So throughout high school, I really struggled a lot with my self-esteem and defining myself, defining beauty, defining who I was supposed to be because I didn't know where to get my foundation from. My family concentrated on achievements. We have always been one, make sure you do X, Y, and Z, and then you're in good standing. It wasn't about like our preparation as a family was as a family model was not to prepare and to build. We took life one day at a time instead of strategizing for the future and putting yourself in a better place today to get to where you want in the future. So high school was high school. Uh, Moving on to college, I was still struggling with my self-perception and even pledged a sorority in order to gain confidence in myself and in my looks and that whole arena. I pledged a sorority that was known for being the pretty girls on campus. And to be accepted as a pretty girl was, you know, like, okay, I made it. I'm here. As I'm going through college, I've just, you know, I've just become a part of the pretty girls on campus. And as I'm starting to build that confidence, I was raped. Mentally, my headspace, I was not in a good place because I had just come out of a very tumultuous relationship that was emotionally abusive, was mentally abusive, but it was... It just was what it was to me at the time. I didn't, there were no terms as emotionally abusive or mentally abusive at the time. I knew that what he was doing to me was not healthy and it didn't make me feel good. So I had just ended that relationship right before when I met this guy that was like, He was funny. He was charming. He could hold a conversation, which is extremely important to me. He was saying all of the right things. He was saying all of the right things to get me to, for me to build confidence in him. And with that, it was a reprieve from the situation that I had just come out of. So one day he tells me not very long into our courtship at all he tells me you know get dressed pack a bag we're going somewhere for the night and that's every girl's dream to hear it's like oh he's about to take me out yes 
my little 21-year-old self was like, yes, I'm packing a bag, didn't even ask where we were going, which was mistake number one, but was just so excited to have somebody that was willing to show me the kind of love and attention that I was looking for, that I was willing to accept it without standards or limitations in place. I had actually met him through a couple of my friends. So come to find out we were all going on this trip together. We were all going, it was three couples and we were all going to, you know, go hang out for the night. We drive to New Orleans, which is about an hour and a half from where I went to college in Mississippi. And we're having fun for the night. He's feeding me drinks. Everybody's drinking. I'm not really that heavy of a drinker because I always had the mentality that I never wanted to be in a situation to where I couldn't sober up quickly if I needed to. So I never drank to where I would pass out, not remember things the next morning or anything like that. That was just a scary place to be in and I never wanted to be that vulnerable. So he would be passing me drinks and I would be just sipping on them throughout the night and not really just drinking it and moving on to the next drink. At the end of the night, when it's like four o'clock in the morning, three, four o'clock in the morning, the guys are too drunk to drive back. So we get a hotel room at this really nice hotel. And so it's a nice, you know, four star hotel. And I'm thinking, zippity doo we're just going to go to sleep and then get back on the road the next day. So each couple then goes to their rooms. I'm preparing to go to bed. You know, we're, you know, sleeping in the same bed together. But it never even crosses my mind. It doesn't even come to that point. To where I am like, anything is about to happen out of my control. As I am going to sleep, he starts the nudging. He starts the, you know, the penetrating. I am moving out of the way, you know, attempting to act as though I am asleep. And I am like, "Mm, okay, well, maybe he'll just stop. He does not stop. And continues to do it even more forcibly. At this point, I am like pushing him off of me. And keep in mind, he's still drunk. Um, This guy is also 220 pounds, 6 foot 3. I'm not going to move the needle with my 150 pounds, 5 foot 7 self. So him being drunk and being significantly bigger than me is not helping the situation at all. And like I said, I am not drunk enough to where I am just like going with the flow with this. The situation starts to get out of hand to where he is forcibly holding me down. It is running through my mind. Like, what do I do from here? Like... The the full act has not taken place just yet. All of the different situations are running through my mind of what could possibly happen. Do I fight? 
Do I try to get up and leave? If I do get up and leave, where do I go? I'm sure my girls are asleep or passed out or doing their own thing right now. Um, I am 100 miles from college, 150 miles from home. Nobody even knows that I'm gone besides the girls that are on this trip with me. So if I try to fight him and get out, I have no way of getting back home to I to call people. Like no one knows where I am. And I'm like, can I even make it to the door if I try to fight and try to leave? Is that even an option right now for me to make it to the door? After weighing all of these different scenarios in my mind, I finally just succumbed and stopped the fighting to get the situation over with. And once it was done, it was it was one of the most humiliating acts of my life. Um, I felt all of the feelings that a rape victim feels the next day or after the act. I felt the shame. I felt the disgust. I felt the dirtiness. Um, and with him, everything was cool. Everything was cool. It was as if this is what we came to do. Even though I didn't know that that was what we were coming to do. Um, so yeah, that was, that was that. So on the next episode, we'll talk about me having my daughter before marriage and my failed engagement and decade-long relationship with my child's father. So stay tuned. We'll see you on the next episode.